Hey, what's up, everybody? This week, I am so fortunate to be speaking with Donna Rico, who is the founder of the creative nonfiction magazine Hippocampus, as well as the uh, creative nonfiction conference Hippocamp. Donna is also a graduate and now a faculty member in the Maslow Family Graduate Program in Creative Writing at Wilkes University. This is episode 85 of On Your Tracks. internship for Etruscan Press was, gosh, back in 2009-2010, and at the time I was working for an e-commerce company where we were building e-commerce stores for small to medium-sized businesses, and also at the time Etruscan had sort of an outdated website, so I decided that I could take my interest in the literary world and also my professional experience with building websites and a good user experience to um, to propose a project to Phil about um, a new Etruscan website, a new Etruscan Press website. Um, the company I worked for, now I'm okay with doing, like I know enough HTML to be dangerous, but I'm not a website designer per se. So um, the company I worked for, uh, Solid Cactus at the time, I don't work there anymore, but they also gave out grants to local organizations, nonprofits, um, through our Cactus Cares program. So I was able to get a thousand dollar grant, which isn't a ton of money, but it was enough to secure a designer um, and programmer who helped us. It was one of my colleagues at Solid Cactus. So we got some professional help um, and we revamped the Etruscan website and brought it up to date. Um, a lot has changed since then. So the website, you know, probably had some updates since then or might have been redesigned since then. But at the time, we developed something pretty cool. Um, you know, just with a lot more information, it was easier to navigate. It had um, more details about the authors and the books. And along with that, I also developed a social media handbook for the authors to, um, to give out to them. So they would have some tips and tricks and sort of templates to promote their, their forthcoming books or maybe their backlist books. Um, so personally for me, it was really gratifying just to give back to um, my alma mater in, in one way and use some of the resources that I had for my profession, professional job at the time. So that was personally rewarding. Um, and professionally re rewarding, sort of like the work I do for hip campus I got to bring together my two worlds my love for writing and literary community and also with the technology and you know the up-and-coming social media because back then it was still a little newer um so yeah just bringing Etruscan press into the into the new um into the new era and I, it was just both personally and professionally rewarding and I had a great time um so that's great. Thank you so much. I know that um, Phil and Bill will really appreciate appreciate hearing from you. Um, so 
for the other the other part of uh, this our conversation today, um, I've had a podcast for a couple of years, um, focusing like really on public scholarship, and and so I, like I mentioned, I offered to David uh, to update some of the marketing stuff, um, and this will go up on their YouTube page um, and mine, and then the podcast feed. Uh, so let's start off by talking about something you're working on that you're excited about. What I am working on. Um... I am still forever working on, on uh, revising my memoir, um, but something that came out of it, I sort of pulled out an essay, and I'm working on something about the relationship with my younger sister. She's, she's my half-sister, and I was thinking a lot about, in, in memoir in general and in our own stories, how the other characters, or the real people in our lives, but which are you know characters in our books, about them, you know, and then have these minor bit parts maybe in our stories that they have their, they have a whole story themselves. Mm-hmm. And when I first started writing my memoir, my little sister was just a kid, but now she's growing into this, you know, I mean, she's almost 30 now. And I've been thinking a lot about how growing up, gosh, I'm going off on a tangent here, <laughs> but I've been thinking a lot about how she was also affected by our upbringing. And so I'm writing an essay that I'm excited about called a prequel to my sisters, Mm -hmm. which it's a prequel to my sister's story, but I'm leaving off the story part. And it's really about what happened to her. And what if my story is just part of her origin story? And so I'm kind of like flipping it on my, on its own that this isn't even my story that I'm working on. It's hers. And I'm just leading up to it. So I'm kind of excited about that and the point of view about it. And, um, you know, but, but also, since it's not my sister's story, I'm using a lot of those little literary tricks to just subtleties and to let the reader figure things out because I don't want to tell her story per se because it's not mine. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about how my life might have impacted hers. That's so cool. So that's a lot. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so interesting. Um, and such a great, like a writing exercise come to life almost, just like changing the point of view and and but applying it to nonfiction is so interesting that that you are somebody else's origin story I think is it must be really humbling yeah and I just you know because you think a lot about um you know when you're writing nonfiction, what do the people in your life what are they going to think about what you write so that's kind of constantly on my mind and and I also sometimes struggle with the detail in my memoir and I have been just for years just breaking out little bits and pieces of what I thought was something small and turning that into a bigger essay a bigger work so in turn that could be a standalone piece that could you know that could just get published along the way but it also helps me strengthen the larger work um but I'm really excited about this piece and I'm just like trying to make sure that I'm treating my sister and her situation with, with respect mm-hmm. Does she know that you're doing this? No, no. We've been estranged for a long time. Um, oh. We just started getting back in touch through Facebook. Um, gotcha. It was an abusive stepdad situation, but it's her natural father. So basically, as soon as I was old enough to leave for college, I left. So I was kind of out of their life for a little yeah. while. And I'm sort of reflecting back on, you know, what happened to them and sort of my absence a little bit of guilt as well yeah so all those feelings (laughs) yeah 
yeah, that's tough. That's, um, but again, for, I, I think for like students listening to this, um, it, there's value in, in writing about like the emotions that you have the most, that you feel the most intensely, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the reasons why maybe I struggled with getting my memoir draft complete, I mean, I completed a draft of it for, for my thesis, but um, why I've still been working on it is I was still relatively young. I mean, when you're 30, you don't think you're young, <laughs> but I think I was still working out a lot of those feelings and bringing out these little like smaller essays from the larger work has been helping me work out my feelings. So yeah, to students listening, if you are writing nonfiction or even, you know, fiction sort of based on something that, that happened to you, that it's okay if you don't have it worked out, you know, just smaller projects might help you work it out. Time might help you work it out. So, you know, writing involves a little bit of patience and I've learned that. Yeah. Which I think is like a, a one of the valuable parts of the program, right? Is that we, we learn how to write, but then we also learn about everything that's sort of around how to write yeah. too. Um, Absolutely. And I also just want to mention very quickly that uh, I, I teach undergrads and uh, a quick way to get them upset is to say that one day they'll be 30 <laughs> and, and the look of horror that comes yes. across their faces. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're teaching undergrads these days, you really also have to watch your pop culture references because I'll say things and I expect to get laughs or even like a smile and I'm like, you don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> So yeah, 30, it does feel old. And now I'm 43 and it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I have, I think a technical question because um, you mentioned a couple of times that what you're working on and like the smaller pieces from your memoir, do you still envision the memoir as, as one whole project? Does that make sense? Like, do you, do you envision it as a, as a book in itself or sort of a collection of, smaller pieces or something like does that make sense <laughs> yeah no that's that's a great question and i think that today people are doing a lot of really cool and different things with structure mm -hmm. um of memoir or really any type of book and i just read a great memoir called um the part that burns by janine ouellette mm -hmm. and it's not the first memoir that i read that was sort of more loosely structured and told in like a nonlinear form Mm -hmm. But her subject matter was similar to mine, and it really inspired me to re-explore how I'm telling it. Because at first, I thought my memoir just needed to be, you know, just straight and linear. It starts when I'm 13 and ends, you know, wherever I choose to end it. Um, so now I'm thinking about maybe doing that more es memoir and essays format, or playing with time a little bit more, and just doing more snippets and, and letting the audience fill in the blanks a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if there's a gap in time that really isn't important to the story, like it's okay that I skip that. I don't have to work so hard to fill in what happened in eighth grade. So yeah. yes, so that's a great question. I have been working around playing with structure and timing, and maybe that might help me get the story into a place where I think it's ready to send out. That's that's really interesting too, because you don't, well, at least in my very limited experience, you don't really think of memoir as a place where you can sort of play around with time it's kind of just like your story is your story right and and the chronology is is sort of locked in but that's not necessarily the case yeah it, it's so true because some you know when we want to approach memoir or 
Or even when people like not in the writing world say, what's a memoir? And you can say, oh, it's like a novel, but it's true. Um, so I think we have it embedded in our head that it still has to be sort of that linear, you know, maybe framing the story or maybe some flashbacks and stuff. But for, for the most part, I think most of us think of it as just a linear structure. And I, I think that, you know, we have more leeway today to be more creative because publishers and readers are more open to it as well. And it's not necessarily like an autobiography either. Yes, exactly. Yes. Because you can, like you said, you can play around more with when stuff is revealed. And I think yeah. um, lead, lead the reader down a different path than just like in, in fifth grade, this happened in sixth grade, this happened. And then I, you know, like that's, that's great. And there, there are lots of, of wonderful autobiographies like that, but memoir is very different. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and then just finding those links between events that happened in your life or what made you feel and that could inspire the structure. So it's like, well, this happened that and that would, you know, that's a really great jumping off point for, for this scene, even though the scene didn't happen for a while. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, I think that we're more empowered these days to tell our stories the way we want to. And that's one of the things that I will say that I love about the Wilkes program is that it's not like, you want to write a novel or you want to write a screenplay, here's your template and here's how you have to do it and fill in the blanks. It's like, we have an open canvas in this program and, and I love that. And sure there are certain things, you know, that we need to know, but I mean, when it comes to doing fun and different things, playing with structure, the program and the mentors are all open to that. And I love that. Yeah. And in my experience, it's been really fascinating to learn about people outside of Wilkes and, and sort of, I've, I've encountered folks who are very devoted to the idea that there is one way to write and one way to, to, you know, successfully write a screenplay and sell a screenplay. And it's just not, it's just not true. <laughs> and I, I keep coming back to this in these, in these conversations um, because I think it's so important, you know, that there's, there's no, as long as you're writing and you, and you have compelling characters and a compelling story, like that's the most important thing. Um, there is no formula. Yeah. I right. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I, I really appreciated so much about the program, and you can speak to this because you, you've taught 501, is getting to hear about people's um, writing process. And so um, I was hoping that you could uh, share with us a little bit about what your process is. That's a really great question. And one of the reasons it's a great question is that I'm still trying to figure out my process. Um, I think one of the challenges with the, um, my day job is content strategy and writing for higher education websites. And then with working with Hippocampus and reading other people's stories and editing other people's stories, I'm sometimes burned out at the end of the day and can't write and just don't have that mental energy. I don't even want to say creative energy, but just that mental capacity to write. So I'm, I'm challenged sometimes. So I find that my process is, you know, when inspiration and time hits, you know, I always carry a notebook because I just don't know exactly when that's going to happen. So I write whenever I can and whenever I feel inspired. Um, I don't have a process and I wish I had a process because I think that would help me be more productive with my creative writing. <laughs> and, and I think that's really important to say too, because so many of us especially in a low residency program, a lot of us 
come to a program like this because we have full-time jobs, we have families, we have other things, and we don't have the time that maybe a full residency program would afford us where we're just focused on school. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I admire everybody that wakes up at, you know, I know some friends that are part of the 5 a.m. Writers Club on Twitter where they get up and they write, and I can't imagine being being up that early and being productive. Um, so, yeah, so I guess I just have lots of starts and stops with my writing process. And, um, yeah, I know that didn't necessarily answer the question, but I'm kind of a just when inspiration hits, let's do it. And, and just also feel guilty the rest of the day that I'm not writing, <clears throat> that I'm, <clears throat> I'm focused on other people's writing most of the time. Um, I think that answers the question perfectly because there are, I, I think, and it is that pressure that some people have to write every day that just may not be realistic. It's not realistic for me. I can't, I can't write every day. Um, I can think about it every day and I've learned to, to recognize that that counts, but I'm not, yeah. I'm just not capable of, of writing every day. I have a very demanding job and two little kids. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to happen, you know? Um, and the five, the 5 a.m. thing, bless them. That sounds terrible. I could never do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sometimes, yeah, I'm sometimes still tossing and turning and not asleep yet, and they're already up writing. <laughs> um, so all that is to say that as long as you're yeah. writing, as long as you're getting words on the page somehow, some way, you're in, you're in good shape. Um, so you have. <laughs> You yes. mentioned hippocampus a couple. You mentioned hippocampus a couple of times, and so for for folks listening to this who might not be aware of all the incredible work that you've done, um, how about you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, uh, hippocampus magazine is an online magazine that's dedicated to just creative nonfiction. So we publish essays, flash nonfiction, memoir excerpts, um, and we are starting to look for more hybrid nonfiction work as well. <clears throat> um, since it's exclusively online, just something that would work online with users that can be accessible. Um, but yeah, so mostly true stories. Um, our first issue went live in May 2011. The, um, we were founded in 2010 and sort of launched that, hey, we're, we're in the world, send us your stuff, this is what we're doing. Um, but the first issue was out in 2011. So yeah, we just celebrated a decade. That's amazing. Which is really exciting. Um, and then five years in, we started an annual creative nonfiction conference, um, which draws about 200 people each year. And then we added our third aspect, um, which is a small press. And so we publish creative nonfiction books. Um, so memoirs, essay collections, anthologies, and all true stories. So those are um, sort of the three areas that we focus on. The magazine which comes out bi-monthly, is still the heart of what we do. Um, it's an all-volunteer effort. Um, you know, we basically, the events and things that we have sort of just break even so we could so we can do it. But I'm working to sort of grow that more into a sustainable business. But for right now, it's still a labor of love. Um, the idea was conceptualized at Wilkes. Um, and a lot of Wilkes uh, students and alumni still help out with with the with all of our events and and publications so it's great uh so that's incredible um as somebody who's trying to get into publishing too um very 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 early into this um that's amazing um what what has it been like growing this over 
over the last 10 years and, and even just taking the, the first step. I mean, this, this is so incredible um, what you've grown Hippocampus into. What's it, what's it been like? It's been, it's been everything. <laughs> it's been exciting and fun. And I grew a lot as a writer and a person, but it's also stressful. And as part of the, um, the burnout I'm having with, you know, um, not being able to write for myself as much. So it's just sort of like all the feelings wrapped up. Um, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, but, but yeah, I think what I realized is that it just, um, when I first started out, it was, I was afraid to ask for help because again, it's all volunteer, but then I realized that people really love it and love what we're doing. And, um, and even that I say, we all the time, even when it was just me, I say we, because mm -hmm. I feel like it's, it's bigger, but now it did grow into a we and we have some section editors and things. And I think that's what I love about it now is that I get to share it with other people who are just as passionate about nonfiction and they want to help and they want to give their time and they want to help grow the community. Um, so it's really just given me um, every time that I feel burned out, I sit back and think, wow, someone published a story in Hippocampus and it changed their life. And I know that sounds silly, but a lot of people we published went on to have a book deal or, or this or that. And just seeing that you're even a small part of somebody's success has been really rewarding. And that sort of makes up for all the time and even some of my own personal funds that I throw into it. Um, it just makes it worth it. So what's it been like? It's been a whirlwind, <laughs> but it's been, you know, mostly positive and it's opened up so many doors and I think there's just a lot of room to grow still. Um, but yeah, it, it's helped me personally and professionally. What, uh, what are some things that you wish that you knew when you started off that you know now? I wish that I knew maybe how time intensive it would be and how much of a sort of, it doesn't take a lot of money to run a literary magazine, but it does take some funds, you know, just like with a podcast, you know, you have to have your equipment and your hosting. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wish I was a little more prepared for the personal investment that I had to put into it. Um, but I think that's also sort of part of the fun of it is that you're just kind of, what do they call it? Like bootstrapping it and just, um, it kind of keeps you going. Um, but I, I guess I wish I did know a little bit more about the resources that, that it would take. And that might've helped me manage my time and be a little more, um, protective of my time and resources. I, I ask <laughs> because I'm, I'm starting a journal. <laughs> so, okay. Oh. Um, yeah. I, we have, uh, we have a membership of the CLMP already. The submittable is up, um, okay. started getting submissions within like a week of having the first call out, which I was really shocked by because I'm used to like academic deadlines that nobody submits anything until like 15 minutes before the deadline. Um, and we've gotten, yeah. we've yeah. gotten several submissions already. And I had this sort of like, this is a thing <laughs> kind of moment. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's already it's exciting. Been super I mean, and people are hungry to share their story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's been. I mean, taking the publishing class with with Phil Brady was just, um, as I'm sure you can attest to, was like a life changing experience. I I went into the course knowing that I wanted to to know more about publishing. It's always been this sort of 
mysterious thing. Um, and Phil is a mysterious man. <laughs> he is, yes. <laughs> and, and so like, I want to know more, but I'm not sure what I'm getting into. And then it, it, it changed my life. Honestly, it was, it was just a, every day was, was great um, in there. So yeah, so now I'm, yeah, I'm well, also it's be so rewarding. Oh yeah. And, and I think sometimes it's almost more exciting to sort of just throw yourself in as learn and learn as you go. Like I have, um, this is unrelated to publishing, but my best friend's parents own a restaurant in the Poconos and they had a date that they wanted to open, but you know, things weren't happening. I don't even know if they had a cash register or something like things weren't done. And they said, you know what? We're, we can never wait till it's perfect. It's never going to be perfect. We're just going to open. And they're still open after 30 years. Oh, wow. and, That's awesome. You know, and it's, and it's just, you know, and it's just like, I don't have children and I, I know you do, but some people also always tell you, you know, it's never the right time to have a child. You know, you're just, you have, you know, you'll, <laughs> you'll be ready and you'll figure it out. So I always think of those two analogies when I think, is it the right time? And I'm like, it's always the right time. Yeah. <laughs> and you just sort of figure it out. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of parallels between parenting and writing. Uh, yes. Your your babies grow in very different and unexpected ways, and there are, are lots of challenges. I'm, I'm thinking about a, a daycare drop-off this morning. I saw a, <laughs> another dad who had um, his, his baby, um, and he had... So he had the baby and then he was trying to carry like a big thing of diapers and something else in another hand. And I, I held the door open like way longer than I probably should have. And just said, like, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember those days. And I think <laughs> like, it's the same with writing, right? Like yeah. the only, yeah. uh, like there's, there's definitely some merit to proofreading and editing stuff before you send it out, but eventually you have to send it out and Yes. You're always going to find a typo <laughs> right after you Absolutely. send it somewhere. That's a rule. Um, so it, it, the, it is. Yep. the best, the best thesis for our program is a done thesis and the best, uh, the best assignment is a done assignment. Um, don't, I like that. I like the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about making it perfect. No, I mean, I, I opened my dissertation for the first time in 10 years and I found a typo right away. <laughs> So, yeah, and, like, it happens. And, and the way I see it, I mean, and of course, either goes through the editorial process, there probably still will be a, a, a typo in the end product. But the way I see it, like, once you get your book, you know, or whatever final product is, there's still going to be work to be done to it. There's still that's paid to work on it. So if it's not super perfect or, you mm -hmm. know, completely perfect, it's okay. There's still a little time. Um, I just, a um, message just popped up that my connection is unstable, oh. but, uh, it's okay. Am, am I okay now? Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You're okay. And we're going to wrap up in a second too, because, um, okay. yeah, I am having pretty severe back pain today. So sitting and sitting oh, for no. a long period. No, oh. it's okay. Nope. It's just, it's a chronic pain thing. I have good days and bad days and my, my body decided today was going to be a tough one. Um, so it's not, and, you don't know, it. Yeah. And back pain, hazard of the job. I'm starting to have like a wrist problem. And it's like, you know, I, I dated somebody once actually when I started the program 
and he just thought I was lazy because I sat at the computer all the time, all the time. And I'm like, no, but this is, this is work. This is mental, you know, energy and anguish. And it's, you know, sometimes it's, you know, being a writer is, is tough mentally and physically, Yes. you know, with ergonomics and things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and just learning, I think being a writer puts you in, in touch with like how to better take care of yourself, both, both spiritually and emotionally and physically in, in yes. ways that I think other careers don't necessarily do. Yeah. Which is again, like another great thing about the Wilkes program because every faculty member will tell you that, right. That you have to take care of yourself. If you're going to do this well, you can't, you can't write all day, every day eventually your, your stuff just isn't going to be as good and you're not going to be in a good place for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like the books program shows you the human side of, of being a writer. And I think a lot of programs don't, I mean, I can't speak for other programs, but from things I hear, you know, it's just, I think our program is good and it has that human side and it's just, that's so important. Yep. I think that's a great place to wrap <laughs> this up. Um, thank you so much for your time, Donna. Yeah, thank you, Andy. It was great talking to you. For more on tenure tracks, please go to untenured.space to access our archives or go to patreon.com slash untenured to help support us. 